Take your Bibles and turn tonight to Psalm 116, Psalm 116, and we'll be looking at this passage tonight and discussing what we see in it, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. As you turn there, I invite you uh, to follow along, and we'll consider all of the verses here together tonight to give us the direction of where we're going, and then we'll go back through in just a few minutes and talk through what these things mean. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. One of the things that we often teach our children when they're growing up uh, is the art of writing thank you notes. I don't know about you, but every time I had a birthday and I had an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, whoever, spend time and money to make sure I received some gift, my mom would make sure that I sat at a table and write thank you notes. It made my hand hurt every time, okay? It still makes my hand hurt, believe me. I type all the time, so I, my hand still cramps up when I write thank you notes, time, you know, if I sit there and do that. And You know, with the onset of email and texting and things like that, I suppose the art of thank you note writing may not be practiced as much as it once was, but it's still a a wonderful personal touch, at least I find it to be so. And, And tonight, we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church body here at Beaverton Baptist Church. And as we prepare to to gather around this table, I think it would be good for us to take some time to reflect on the goodness and the blessings of God poured out on mankind through Jesus Christ. The work that we remember in this ordinance that God gave to the church cannot be overstated and it cannot be overappreciated. So let us meditate on the words of the psalmist in Psalm 116 this evening and apply his heart of thanksgiving to that which Jesus has done for us as believers. As the psalmist was thankful for what God had done in his heart in life, we should be thankful if we know Jesus Christ for what God has done for us. And we see that thanksgiving to God for his work and blessings is normal, natural, and expected for a child of God. In a world and in a culture where being thankful is perhaps not the norm, 
this is what's normal for those who know the Lord. But they are thankful to, to God for what he has done uh, for them. And, you know, you get, as you get into to Psalm 116, I mean, you'll find here we, we don't really know who wrote Psalm 116. Just for your benefit, there's a lot of, um, I find, similarities between Psalm 116 and what Jonah prayed in Jonah chapter 2. I'm not telling you Jonah wrote Psalm 116, but if you were to go back and compare those two texts, which you could do your on your own time this week, you know, if you have the time to look at it, uh, you would see the similarities there as Jonah experienced something in his own life that he needed God's deliverance from. Whatever the case, we're going to see what the psalmist went through in his life and experienced and his response to God and see that that's, that's normal for us as well. As if we know Jesus Christ, and if we sit here in the church age as our Savior, we should have the same types of, of attitudes towards God in our lives as well. And so as you get into to verses 1 and 2 and, and you see the opening of the psalm, you begin to see the reason that is given for praise to the Lord. And the first one in verse 1 has to do with true love that comes from God and, and flows from God in our lives. Psalm 116.1, I, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. Psalm 116 is a very personal psalm. It is a song of praise offered by an individual who saw God do a mighty work of deliverance in his life. This is not just a, hey, let us praise the Lord, or we'll gather and do this, or you should do this, but this is a very personal, I am praising the Lord for what he has done in my life. God heard the cries of the psalmist, which is a proof of his true love, and it's an invoker of reciprocal love. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. It is a blessed thing that God not only accepts our love, he creates that love in us through his mighty works and deeds. As one of Jesus' own disciples, John, who we study on Sunday mornings in his gospel, would say in 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. You and I are born into this world dead in our trespasses and sins. And, and do you know in your natural state who it is you love? It's yourself and your sin. Yet God in his mercy stirs us with his Holy Spirit, draws us to himself, and in Jesus Christ, in salvation, God gives us the capacity to love him supremely and to love others as he loves them as well, selflessly. God shows us his true love then in that he listens to us. And that willingness to listen to us, his creation, encourages us to call out to him. I don't know about you, but I find it easier to talk to someone who I actually know is going to listen. Right? That applies to personal conversation that applies to, to preaching, by the way. You know, you come into a church and everybody sits there and goes, all right, what you got? Right? Well, it's not a lot of preaching, you know. But you're, you're engaged, you know, you're, you're listening to somebody when they're talking to you. You probably don't know what that's like. And, and you're talking to somebody and they're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're like, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time, right? But God, because he loves us and listens to us, it encourages us to, to talk with him and to share uh, our hearts and, and, and our praise and our supplications, whatever they may be, with him. 
The psalmist continues then, not only is there true love that's expressed from God and in his life, and he sees that, but there's also a true trust that he experiences, and that's a reason for praise in verse 2, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The psalmist experienced God's answer to his prayer, and that changed his life. And here we see the response of the truly godly soul, a hypocrite does not continue to pray to God after he's gotten what he wants. There are many who have sought in their lives to make what we may call bargains with God or even cried out to whatever version of God they believed in. And do you realize that sometimes in his mercy and grace, God answers the prayers of those who don't know him, right? He takes care of them. And what happens next when God answers prayer tells us all we need to know about the person offering a prayer. The hypocrite does not continue to pray to God because he got what he wants. The godly man continues to pray as he always has. The psalmist here proves his godliness that he trusts in God because he says, what is he going to do? He's going to call upon God as long as he lives. Sometimes the answer from God is no. We talked about that last week at our Sunday night fellowship. Sometimes it's another answer that we didn't hope for. Those who know and follow and trust God continue to pray to him, trusting in his sovereign wisdom. But those who don't know him cease their prayers altogether because they treat God like some kind of heavenly genie. And when the genie hasn't granted your wish, or maybe he has granted your wish, You go until you need another one, or you abandon it altogether, because he didn't give you what you want. God inclines his ear to his children. That word there talking about, he has inclined his ear to me, means he pays attention to, or he concentrates on what we say. If you are a child of God, you can be assured of this, God hears your prayers. You say, well, I don't feel like God's near me. Then I would ask you what I've asked you before. Who changed, God or you? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible says God doesn't change. We, in our own lives, put up the walls between us and God. In our sin, in our disobedience, whatever it might be. But God listens to his children. Now, that isn't the same as God always giving us what we ask for. And again, those of you who have raised children understand that you listen to what they ask for doesn't mean you always give them what they want, right? How many of you who have, have kids, anytime you've raised your kids, they've asked for something you didn't give what they asked for? Anybody? Okay, I got a few parents in here who are like, oh, I always give them what they want, okay? Well, then uh, you might be a bad parent, okay? <laughs> because our kids want a lot of things, right? I mean, just because... Uh, They want a pet dinosaur doesn't mean you can give them a pet dinosaur, right? God listens to his children. It doesn't always mean he grants those requests. It doesn't mean, just as it doesn't mean when a parent doesn't give something to a child, doesn't mean they don't love them or you don't want them to ask, right? I mean, honestly, we want our kids to ask because we want to have the opportunity to either grant or say, yeah, here's why we're not doing that, right? Or no, we're not doing that. And in the same way, God loves us with a more perfect love as his children. 
There are things he doesn't give us because he loves us and he doesn't give us to us. And there are things he tells us that we're going to wait on because he knows what's best. And there are things that he does do answer in his will and in his time. But continued prayer to God communicates a true heart of trust. And that trust is praise from our lives. And tonight, as we said, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper and all who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, have received the greatest answer to prayer we can imagine. Salvation from sin and eternal life with Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us call out to him in all things. If you can trust God with your eternity, you can trust God with whatever it is in the present. And God's attention to his children is reason to praise him. And like the psalmist, we can recount times in our lives when God acted specifically on our behalf, which we see here now. In verses 3 through 11, you have the report of God's doings in the life of the psalmist. In verses 3 and 4, you see that the psalmist in his life, had trouble, and he turned to God in that trouble. It says, the pains of death surrounded me, and the pains of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow, then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. So the author recalls a time in his life when he was facing death itself in his life. The word here, Sheol, is used, um, it's used here, it's other places as well. It's a poetic term referring to the grave and that which lies beyond death. And the psalmist not only feared for his life, but he talks about how he felt these things. He felt death closing in around him. He felt trouble and sorrow as those things closed in on his life. And perhaps... You have had a similar experience in your life. Maybe you faced a situation where you were on the brink of death or feared you might be on the brink of death. Maybe you haven't faced death, but you have faced that which is so difficult, you felt trouble and sorrow in your soul, in your inner being. And in those times of despair and trouble, what do you do? Well, the psalmist does that which he only can do. He cries out to the Lord. He implored God to hear him and to save him. And when we face times of trouble in our lives, where we run to first says a lot about where our trust is. The condition of our hearts is revealed in our words and actions. And an anxious heart is not a settled heart. We need to be still before the Lord, crying out to him. This doesn't mean that we don't seek to apply wisdom to our situations of need. I mean, there are things that God has given us. We may face a a physical ailment or or sickness. And so we we, we seek the Lord. We apply the wisdom that God has given us to seek this treatment or that, right? But it doesn't start with that. It starts with, well, we're going to give this to the Lord and follow whatever path he puts us on. We may face something that that requires us to apply our financial acumen or the money that we've saved up for such a day as this. But but all the while, it's okay. We're going to give this to the Lord, and and this is this. We're going to seek His wisdom and how we go about handling this situation. 
we realize that no matter what route in that wisdom we may pursue, it is God who controls the outcome in that end. At the end of the day, he's the one who gets the praise and the glory in our lives. And this individual who wrote this psalm felt like his life was in danger. And in that danger, he turned to God. And when you see God for who he is, your faith is informed in times of deepest trouble. In Psalm 46, we read, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. Just as the psalmist in Psalm 46 saw, hey, God is greater than anything we will face. So the psalmist here saw God do great things in his life. As he continues to report uh, of God's doings, we get down in verses 5 and 6. So not only here does he turn to God in trouble, we see the preservation of God in his life in the midst of that trouble. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. The psalmist faced trouble and God heard his cries. And more than this, he delivered him from that trouble. We read at the end of verse 6 that though he was brought low, God saved him from this near-death experience. And we see to that which the psalmist attributes this salvation. You do not read in these verses, well, because I was well-behaved, God came and did something for me, right? You don't read here that, 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 that I am deserving of this salvation. You don't even see that, that the psalmist says, because I prayed at the right time or the right way or said the right words, God saved me. And in our own lives, we are tempted to view sometimes even the salvation of our souls as something we are owed. We think that if we do the right things or we say the right words or we don't do some sin, that God's going to answer our cries. Perhaps it's for salvation for our souls. Perhaps it's something going on in your heart and your life that you say, well, I really want God to answer this, so I need to be extra careful not to do anything bad over the next X amount of days while I'm praying this prayer. I'm here to tell you right now, if that's your attitude, you don't understand who God is. That's not why God answers our prayers, because we kept our nose clean. Now, should a disciple live a life that reflects God? Well, that's the normal life of a disciple, right? But God answers our prayers not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And that's exactly what the psalmist says here. The answer is dependent on God and not on us. The psalmist says here in verse 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yes, our God is merciful. This is why God answered his prayer. God hears and saves the psalmist because, he is, because of his gracious and merciful nature. He is righteous, and everything he does exalts that righteous character. The psalmist had a great need, and in turning to the righteous, merciful, and gracious God, he found his answer. You and I can find our greatest needs met in God and God alone. God gives salvation from sin to those who turn to him, and that salvation is in accordance with his gracious, merciful, and righteous nature. And in our physical, emotional, or spiritual needs, we can turn to this same God who cares for us. And in that deliverance, let us learn with the psalmist. For again, the godly soul reflects on God's work on his behalf, drawing closer to God in these things. 
one who belongs to God doesn't take this from God and say, well, that was great. We're just going to go on to the next thing. And I'll call you again when I need you, God. But he reflects and meditates on what God has done. And that's what the psalmist does here. In verses 7 through 11, we see under this report of God's doing, we see the lessons that the psalmist derives from this deliverance. He says, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. So the psalmist here testifies of what he has learned from the Lord in his deliverance. And it is well and right for us to give praise to the Lord and testify of his goodness to others. That's what the Bible calls on people who follow God to do. So from time to time here, at least once a year at Thanksgiving... And then occasionally when our, we have our fifth Sunday fellowships and our afternoon services, we have here in our church what we call testimony services. And sometimes I think we think the definition of testimony services, just sit in here and wait till it's all over. I just don't want anybody to call on me. I don't want to stand up. But that's not what God has told us to do. He's not called us to sit in a pew and just, you know what he's called you to do? He's called you to share with others what he's done for you. That's what the scriptures tell us to do. He said, well, you're just setting us up for Thanksgiving praise service. Maybe I am, okay? But that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to stand up and bless the Lord, to praise him before others, not just to keep it to ourselves. There are times to wait in silence, but to respond. There are not, these are not times to wait in silence, but times to respond to God. And first, the psalmist here gives praise, testimony, what he has learned, and the first thing he has learned, he had learned to rest his soul in the Lord. He has experienced deliverance from death. Therefore, his eyes have no need, more need for tears. His feet fall no more, but they are planted firmly on the ground of God's great work in his life. God dealt bountifully with him, and he has given him blessings all around. Tonight, when we commemorate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ at the Lord's table, declaring the gospel, we should do so letting our hearts reflect on the bountiful goodness of God to us. Jesus has delivered the soul of each and every person who has trusted in him from eternal death. Therefore, we have every reason in our lives to hope. And we use hope the same way that the scripture uses it, not talking about why hope that's going to happen, but a confident expectation this is what is true because of who God is. We stand on Christ, the solid rock. We have a hope that wipes away every tear. And so God's deliverance commands our rest in him. Because God had delivered the psalmist, he reflected that he would rest only his soul in God. We need no other argument, no other plea. Let us not seek joy, contentment, happiness, peace, or fulfillment in anything else, but let us find these in God and God alone. We can find, we can look for our peace and rest and fulfillment and joy in a lot of places. We can look for them in the people, in routine, in the things of life, whatever it may be, the positions we have, the jobs we fill, but we're never going to find that outside of Jesus Christ. Second, 
the psalmist then, not only does he reflect on who God is and, and rest in him, he also then lives a life of obedience to God because of God's acts on his behalf. That's what he means here when he says in verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This is talking about acting in obedience to what God commands. God's salvation demands my devotion to him. God's salvation demands my devotion to him. The psalmist experienced a new lease on life, and he gave that, his life to the one who saved him. As a Christian, you have had a similar experience. We owe our lives to the one who gave his life for ours. So let us not fill our lives with worldly and trivial pursuits and give God leftovers of our lives. It's a sad day indeed when we opt out of the things of God because I have other things I want to do. The first fruits of our lives belong to God. And we fit the rest in where God puts them. That's not life. One who fits God into the, the, the things I have left over is not the life of a disciple. Now, there will be times in our lives when God-ordained obligations may require us to, to prioritize this or that in this moment. But so often we choose in our lives to walk away from God's work and God's people in order to pursue our fun, our convenience, or anything else personally in our lives. But let us walk in the ways of the Lord, living for his glory, giving him the preeminence that he deserves in our lives. That's what it means to walk in the ways of God, to put him first in all things, to obey him. And then third, the psalmist learned here in this deliverance from God, the trustworthiness of his God. He says, I believed, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. He says, I believed. What did he believe? What did he believe? Well, he believed that he would be heard by God. He believed that the Lord would answer him and allow him to live. He believed in who God is, therefore he cried out to him. You don't cry out to God if you don't believe he's not going to hear you. The psalmist believed. He knew all too well the untrustworthiness of men. Do you see that in verse 11? I mean, he at one point said, all men are liars. Now perhaps... We have spoken such broad things in our own trials and tribulations. Have you ever faced a trial or tribulation in your life and made some broad general statement about, well, it always is this way or it does this or that, right? Those exaggerated feelings must never be put towards God. Instead, let us trust him in all things. And in that trust, we can share with him our deepest hurts and greatest struggles. As we said, if you have trusted God with your eternity, you can trust him with whatever temporal thing you face in this life. And with these lessons entrenched in his heart, the psalmist now responds with praise and thanksgiving to God. We see the response of the delivered in the rest of this chapter. In verses 12 through 14, he gives a promise of praise. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. So the promise of praise. The question that the psalmist asks in verse 12 is one that we should all rightfully ask of God. What can we return to the Lord 
for all he has done for us. He has physically blessed our lives and met our needs. If we know Christ, he has met the greatest needs of our life, greatest needs of, need of our life, giving us eternal life in himself. The benefit of knowing the Lord, those benefits are endless. Have you ever felt that you were in a relationship with someone that was extremely one-sided? Have you ever felt that you benefited so much from someone else? I mean, how could you possibly ever repay them what they had done for you? And don't be looking around, husbands going, yeah, my wife feels that way about me all the time, okay? She doesn't, okay? I know because I is one, all right? That's the way it is with God. How can we possibly ever repay, right, what he has done for us? He has done so much for us. How can we ever, what can we ever hope to give him in return? And yet... There is something we can give. The psalmist gives his undying praise to God for what he has done. He testifies to others of what God has done for him, spreading the name of the Lord. He says he will continue to call on the name of the Lord. By calling on and leaning on the Lord exclusively for our help, we praise him. Praising God isn't just proclaiming him, it's continuing to trust in him. When we continue to trust him with our lives, we're saying, God, I give you the praise. I give you the glory for this because you have been trustworthy in the past, and I trust you're going to be trustworthy now and in the future. We confirm that he is worthy to be trusted, not just with our lips, but with our actions and our heart attitudes. The salvation the psalmist experienced informed the rest of his life, and the salvation God offers us in Jesus informs the rest of our lives as well. And it's a wondrous thing that God accepts our praise. And so let us, with the psalmist, bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. He describes this in the rest of the chapter. Now we get to verse 15, and you think, wow, this seems a little out of context. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because we think, well, I mean, he didn't die, right? I mean, he was delivered. But once again, it communicates what the psalmist knows about his God as he gives praise to God. That God does not take lightly the death of one who belongs to him. Everything God allows and everything God does has a purpose and a reason. It has a place in his will and it brings him glory. So therefore, the death of a saint, and a saint, by the way, isn't something that the Catholic Church made up. Okay, I mean, they did make up a lot of saints, right? don't get me wrong. But the idea of that we see in the scripture A saint is one who belongs to God. And so, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a saint. Okay, kids, you carry that one home and use it tonight, okay? You know, when you do something wrong. But mom, I'm a saint. I've trusted God, right? And then they will kindly remind you that, yes, but, you know, there's horns holding up your halo or something like that, okay? That's what my mom always said. Those who belong to God are precious to him. It is used, even the death of a saint is used to further his plan and purposes. It is used to exalt him. And the psalmist has lived through this latest trouble and he knows that one day when he passes away, it will be in God's plan and in God's will. So this informs what he offers to God. He offers him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
He says in verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Those who belong to God are his servants. We give our lives in service of his eternal kingdom. We live our lives for the glory of God. We call upon his name like the psalmist. And the psalmist would offer public praise for the purpose of edifying others, and so should we. Now, as we sit here in the church age, there's a little bit of a, um, a contextual difference here. You know, David talks, or I'm sorry, not David, whoever the psalmist is, talks about the sacrifice of praise that he offers to God. And when we talk about sacrifices, we don't always think the way they would have thought, because when they thought about sacrifices, they literally thought about sacrifices, because that's how they worship God. I mean, you read the book of number of Leviticus, and you, you read all of the things that God commanded and the different types of sacrifices, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about a sacrifice of praise. We, in the church age, we say we don't offer sacrifices because the final perfect lamb has been slain, that Jesus has taken away the sins of the world, but we can still offer to the Lord sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. We should do these things, for they are good and right for us to do. And may we resound and repeat with the psalmist his last exclamation. He says at the end of verse 19, praise the Lord. This is an interesting phrase to me in word because literally this word, this Hebrew word, is the word which, from which we derive hallelujah. That's where it comes from. It's translated as praise the Lord. Let us offer to God our highest praise for his great work in our lives. Thanksgiving to God for his work and blessings is normal, natural, and expected for a child of God. He has done wondrous things for us. He is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving for his work day in and day out. God gives gracious and merciful blessings to mankind everywhere. Whether they acknowledge him or not, he is at work providing for them and preserving them. And as a believer, it is your job to make his name great among men, to make him known to the, to the nations. We give God praise through our words. We extol him to others. And so, I mean, that, that begs the question, as the psalmist talked about how he would praise the name of the Lord to others, do we give praise to God in what we may call normal conversation? We talk about a lot of things in life. And if we're honest, a lot of them are pretty meaningless, right, in the long term, in the grand scheme of things. Why not talk about that which is most valuable and most life-changing? When we go and we chat with our work friends, our neighbors, our family, we talk about what God has done for us. If God has changed us, let us declare that to others. If God has done great things for us, let us share that to with whomever we are with because he is worthy of our praise.